All right, so we'll get started in three, two, one. Welcome back to another episode of Recap, except this is a recap discussion. Um, I wanted to do something a bit different today. So I've got, I believe, the whole of the PointCast team here with me today. So it's me, your host, Joshua Hyde. We've got the boss lady of PointCasting here, Francine Dash. Say hi, Francine. Hello, everyone. We've got our writer, Anthony, in here. Say hi, Anthony. Hello, hello. We got our analyst, Alex, in here. Say hi, Alex. How are you doing? And of course, last but not least, we have our newest member, Sasha. Say hi, Sasha. Hi. How's everybody doing today? Good. Good. Awesome. Good to hear. So I wanted to do... I'm excited about this. Let's go. Good. I'm excited too, actually. I think this is going to be a very interesting discussion. So what I wanted to do um, this time is I have a couple of, well, no, it's more, it's more than a couple, but I have some issues. Um, based on some research that I've done and some conversations that I've had with people in my social circle, I believe that I have a collection of what are what I believe are considered some of the biggest issues in current day America. And given that these are issues, we kind of need solutions for them. And so also based on that same research, I have a couple of solutions that have been given to me either by people or by the internet or that have come from myself directly. And I just wanted to talk with you guys about the issues themselves, some of the ways that we can try to fix them, and maybe we can create a roadmap to creating a better America. Matter of fact, that should be the name of this episode, Francine, Creating a Better America. Got it. Duly noted. <laughs> <laughs> so, you guys down for that? All right. Ooh, such enthusiasm. Woo-hoo. All right. Yeah. So... Um, I, most of these are fairly self-explanatory. I don't think we need to go into detail about what these things are. Um, although one of them I might, but the first thing in kind of the most, the, the biggest thing that I've heard from people, especially in my social circle, is that one of the biggest issues facing America, especially in terms of legislation and discussion, is partisanship and how radically it divides current day America. And so the, the, the two biggest things that I've heard in terms of fixing partisanship have actually been fairly interesting. And I wanted to get you guys' opinions on them. Um, you don't have to answer any one of these directly. This is mostly just a, a, effectively a question to you. Um, the first kind of response to the, the dividing nature of partisanship is to abolish the current parties entirely in favor of people running with stances or leanings as their only motivation. So we have so-and-so running as a conservative rather than as a Republican. We have so-and-so running as a centrist instead of whatever, you know, party that would have been otherwise. That's, that's the idea. The other option that's, that was presented to me would be to keep the current parties but give all parties equal like view and screen time and then of course create more parties to basically represent all of the other people that republican and democrat kind of just consume because it's kind of impossible to do anything in current day politics if you aren't involved in one of those two parties what do you guys think about that well math says no um so so here's the thing um if you want multiple political parties you have to create in like a structure and incentives that allow for multiple political parties a first past the post system all but ensures that you will have two and exactly two political um i I guess the alternatives you have one political party and a lot that's like and like, if you don't, if you're not convinced, I'll like, I'll kind of go through the thought experiment for you. And uh, you can um, parallel this with Coke and Pepsi if you want. You know, pick your favorite duopoly. So there are five political parties, and they each share an even percent, to even twenty percent. And then, um, what, some scandal breaks, some news happens, uh, someone makes a minor gaffe and offends five percent of their electorate. So they drop to they drop to 15, and somebody else drops up to tw- jumps up to 25. Well, now um, the you see the people at 20 look at the person at 25 percent and say, well, if I dropped out and most of my supporters go to this person, then they like then they jump up 40, like, you know, 40 percent, and then they'd be like then they'd be the front runner. Okay, well I'll um because I'm so opposed to what this guy says, I'll just drop out. And now most of my supporters go to, like, they split even, supposedly even just split evenly between these other two similar candidates. Um, so now it's 30, 30%, 30%, 25%, 15%. 
And now the other side does the same thing, and the other side does the same thing, and you will converge to two parties. Yep. Because, yep. like, rational, intelligent uh, animals, that's that's what the incentives are, that's what people do. There are a couple, like, but you'd be like, but Great Britain has first passed the post system, and they don't have this problem. But it's like, yeah, they do, but they have very small races and because they're very local very small races you still have a two-party system it's just two different parties in different like in different races Hmm. so um you have to change the way the electoral system works if you want more than two parties i don't believe i've ever heard it broken down that way before that's really interesting to think about so then alex do you do you believe you have a solution for our current state of partisanship. I mean, there there isn't one. Um, <laughs> there isn't like a golden. Bu- there isn't a magic bullet one one thing answer. Um, any um, um, you can kind of mathematically show there's no such thing as a fair election. Um, uh, you let's say any elect like any electoral system that you create will have weird like weirdness about it. Um, the most fair would be a single, we'll say what a system called single transferable vote. And I'm not, uh, the, the TLDR here is, um, you would vote, like you have, uh, six candidates, you kind of put, um, so you can, you can rank them in order. So for whatever one you want to vote for, you could like, you could rank accordingly. Um, and then if you just didn't want to vote for somebody, you just wouldn't rank them. Right. Right. Um, so the way that that would work is we have our six candidates. So the first person above 50% of the vote is the, like is declared the winner. So the first round, nobody gets 50%, nobody wins. So then we'll cut the first, we'll cut the, the lowest, the person with the fewest votes. We'll remove, we'll remove them. We'll take all of their votes and then we'll check all of those votes and go to their second choice. And then we'll redistribute, check. And I say, you just repeat this until somebody reaches the magic 50% plus one. I have something, I don't know if it's a question or a comment as far as partisanship. Um, Something I've been thinking about as I've listened to you talk, Alex, and I really listened to your question, Josh, about partisanship. I think from my perspective, it's easy for me as a voter to be nonpartisan than it is for someone who is in politics to be nonpartisan, just because of how we're set up in our American political system, our culture of American politics. But I think it, I think there is something to the influence of partisanship, right? And how it makes it difficult for people who aren't in a particular party or who don't want to subscribe to some sort of membership and want to run for office. So it makes me wonder if we should look at more of the influence and if the influence would be affected by looking at the electoral college, perhaps, or moving more toward a popular voting system uh, where, you know, you people can still group up however they choose to, but it, it makes it probably more feasible for so-called third-party candidates to have a chance. We already have something called equal play in the media. Basically, if somebody gets a certain amount of whatever number of folks and they get on a ballot, then they can have equal access opportunities to commercial time, to debate time, you know, they, they, they have to make equal provisions um, that, that already exists. But I guess it's really kind of the, the influence of partisanship and, and what we're living under right now is the divisiveness, right? Um, so that's causing people to really look at partisanship and when it goes bad, it goes bad for, for us, <laughs> us regular people. Um, and, um, and, and really the division of power in politics. When I think partisanship, I'm thinking about the division of power. I'm thinking about the power of the vote. I'm thinking about how much of that power is given over to an unknown body, electoral college. We just don't really understand a lot about how that works in, in the general populace. Uh, I think some thought needs to be given to, uh, you know, um, the influence that these parties may have on the voters as far as uh, the truth. We're, we're literally having a problem with the truth getting out to people. 
about certain things. That's partisan influence that I'm talking about. Right. Um, and we're also having the other side of that is a voter suppression, right? The parties are, and that's the danger of, of partisanship, right? They've gotten an office and they're dividing, they're deciding how, how people can and cannot vote. Um, I think for me personally, I, I look at the influence of, our, of partisanship and how to um, lessen the negative influence that we're all seeing today. My two cents. Anyone else have anything to add? I, I don't think you can remove partisanship from politics at all. I don't think there's any, I think that Alex's suggestion is the best you could do to, from a technical perspective, to try to lessen its impacts. But I think people will need to maybe, my, I mean, just just my personal opinion that it's, it's a part of human nature to congregate into increasingly larger groups to pursue whatever your small shared objective is. I mean, this is the Democrat party in a nutshell. It's a bunch of people who don't agree on a whole lot of stuff that agree on like two or three things. And so they've decided to pursue their power together. But partisanship will never go away. Um, the discussion about partisanship in today's politics is a little strange sometimes to me because what we have is partisanship has led to gridlock and the inability to function. But I don't think we're more partisan today. I, I actually don't think it's true. Um, we literally had a civil war, <laughs> which is about the maximum partisanship you can get would be killing each other in the streets. So like, yeah, that's fair. That's, that's accurate. We're not at uh, gunning hundreds of thousands of our fellow citizens down level of partisanship. Um, if you study like the history of Congress, you'll find there were multiple, like people got caned. There were multiple fights, stabbings. Very famously, if you've seen musicals, somebody shot somebody else over partisanship was like hey i want to be with you i'm gonna literally kill you in a duel this wasn't the only duel in are you history, are you bringing up hamilton there was more than one duel in <laughs> history like duels were a thing that used to happen they were so divided that they were we're just we're gonna attack each other uh like congress has been very violent up until really sort of post-Civil War, Congress was really violent. Like, the floor of the Senate was a pretty violent place, actually. It was a really bad workplace environment. Yeah, um, yeah. So, I don't, I don't know if I think we're more partisan today. What I think has changed is that general public, we are aware of the divides much more because the news won't stop covering it ever, all the time. Uh, what you so didn't is, have. is the news the problem then is it the news or is i mean there is an obvious loss of civility here right there is true. there there are people getting shot in the streets exactly. i don't want to politicians aren't shooting each other that's fair like, because that, that's what i was thinking the whole time you're talking i'm like okay granted politicians aren't doing that, right but i do believe there is a clear divide of an us and them that has permeated, especially the past four years, and has this clear, you either this or you're that. Yes, there is a divide. There's no doubt. But I don't think it's worse today. I, our divides today, and this is going to sound really unpopular, I think. <laughs> our divides today are actually much more civil than they typically been in American history. Like, if you just go back to the middle of the 20th century, just study what they were doing around like Jim Crow. Like, your, your divides and hostility was really tremendous. Now, it's not to say that they're not real today, because they are, but... See, I just think I, they I upgraded their... I think they just upgraded methods. I don't think that it's necessarily completely gone away. At least what's been exposed over the last four years to me personally is that the vices that led people to do those horrible things in that time still seem to exist. Like that fever hasn't gone away. And I think a lot of us were surprised 
when we started seeing the comfort level of people saying, if you're not with us, then you're against us. I mean, we weren't used to seeing that on a national stage, maybe in some regions and small pockets we would make fun of around the country. But this is the national stage. And it's like the whole world is watching this and they're using that as an indicator of who we are as a people. So it leads us back to the poison and divisiveness and the power of divisiveness that partisanship does have. And that we don't wanna to go to another civil war, but it feels like people are trying to pull us into one. I mean, maybe it's just me. Well, uh, I, I think that that exists. I, I would say that that's real. And, and I guess that's, and I'll let somebody else jump in. But Francine, I think that goes to what my original point was, which is that I don't think you can remove this out of the system at all. I mean, to be, to be clear, my view on this is way more cynical. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think you can get away from this. I, there are countries that have better systems than ours, right? Like the UK has a better system than ours. And yet they blew off their nose in spite of their face with Brexit. They were just yeah. like, what if we commit economic suicide? And even though the whole world was like, you shouldn't because it's economic yeah. suicide. And they said, right. yeah, screw you guys. We're going to do it anyway because of reasons. Germany has been like better system than ours. And yet the neo-Nazis are making a strong comeback in Germany, which a, you might know eerie, has some history of neo-Nazis. In the Eastern Bloc. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. France, better system than ours. And yet Marie Le Pen is like knocking on the door like, hey, what if I just inject craziness back into france again like mm -hmm. it, it's not just it's it's not just us right it's, it's yeah, okay countries with better systems than ours can't contain their partisan divides it just... well okay and uh and, it's like, and on that note i think there are two things that um <laughs> i want to bring up here um uh the first of which is um that that's um, notably not true. That's not that's notably not true in um, some countries, namely China. Say Chinese national pride is up. Well, they have yeah. us to look at and mock right now. So. That's fair. <laughs> that's fair. Well, okay, so, so, so but we're talking. Ahead. Sorry, I don't mean I don't. If you no, go ahead. Talk, go ahead. Okay. No, no, no good. So if we're talking about like civil, like we're talking about civil unrest. Yeah, um, yeah. And Anthony, you're talking about uh, civil unrest from a global perspective. That's not an. It's not a uniquely um, um, American phenomenon. Um, if you look around, uh, pick you say pick your favorite country, um, and they will be citing a recent rise, a relatively recent rise in civil yeah. unrest over the past uh, ten years. Yeah. Um, with let's say with a with a handful of exceptions. And they're not necessarily the exceptions that you would think of. Um, again, I'm, a, I'm going to point at China, and uh, we can have a whole conversation as to why we think that yeah. is. Uh, but the, uh, say the other part that I want to point to is um, that, uh, do you know what else happened about 10 years ago? Anthony, Here, you're, or? you know what it is. Go ahead, man. Um, I mean, social media exploded yeah. 10 years ago. Yeah, um, yeah that's... And it's... Uh, I will. I will cite Facebook's worth. How much money, guys? Someone, yep. someone, and then give me the number. <laughs> yeah, let me run them real fast. Internet's being weird, or I pull a it up. A few billions. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What does Facebook do? Do you pay for Facebook? Nope. I don't. I don't. Advertisers do. Advertisers. So why would advertisers be willing to pay billions of dollars? And the answer is because social media has a very slight um so like very slight imperceptible over time but over time impact in your behavior um and you can let's say and uh again think about it this way most people get there not just like in the united states but around the world most people get their news you know via social media um applications so um let's say and each social media application is catered to the like to the user, right? You only see things that are relevant, to, or that you know the algorithm says are relevant to you. Yeah. So if you were to log on to Wikipedia, and Wikipedia were to say, "Hey, we can make a whole bunch of money by um, we're going to cater every in, um, entry that you read to reinforce what you already think," would that as like would you be comfortable with that? Would that be something that you are okay with? So I see you've watched The Social Dilemma. 
I, I have. <laughs> yeah, you really paid attention to it because that is the a, whole document. I think it's a compelling argument. That's yeah. fair. But what is, how does that play into partisanship? Um, so Francine, the algorithm says that you are, uh, let's say, um, you because are- Because I'm all over the place, right? Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, okay, so, um, so it says that you so say you can't figure out what you are. So it gives you a little bit of, like, it gives you a little bit of everything. You know, I get scholarly articles all the time. That's what I mean. Sure, sure you do. <laughs> and I'm like, the, um, the big words say, I can't pronounce. Um, but say, but J- Josh, Josh, it picks, the algorithm picks up that you are, I say that you're, um, like, you tend more liberal. So it's going to, any, like, anything that, um, as I say, and that you're particularly sensitive to racial issues. Anything that it says um, you uh, might be uncomfortable with, or not interact with, it's going to uh, take away. So um, things like Breitbart or uh, or Fox News um, are just not going to be present in your feed. Every comment that you see, every article you see, is going to be some liberal slant, something about uh, say about black empowerment or uh, the Black Lives Matter movement. And that your the like your perception of the world. How can it not? Yeah. Okay. Yep. So I have I have one question before we close out of this and move on to the next section. So, um, and this is this is coming from me directly. This is after after doing the research I did on um, kind of the things that created the the level of partisanship we have here in America. I've also like personally come to the terms that we we don't really have a good healthy discourse. In America, it is basically impossible to have conversations between sides that don't devolve into arguments, screaming matches, and threats. Do we think, if it was possible to have healthy discourse, do we think that would change the nature of partisanship here in America? I mean, assuming it's possible. Yes. Right. For the purpose of the question. In, in, like, in this in this perfect America that I have in my brain, oh. and healthy discourse was possible, would that change the partisanship we currently have? I think it depends on your definition of healthy discourse, because there's some uh, people who think that we are having healthy discourse, because some people who felt that they were unheard over the last preceding four years feel like they're now being heard and are having that discussion. And some people think that healthy discourse is just in a group of people who are similar to their own philosophy. So I I think you'd have to define that, you know, create the context and then. Well, and that's going to be your problem, right? Um, You can't have discourse. You cannot have discourse without shared fundamentals. And if you don't have like shared fundamentals about like, like shared, a shared bed of facts, you can't have discourse. Even if we had it, I would say no. <laughs> there's, there's a cynic again. So, because if we're, we're, I mean, if we're having discourse, that's fine. I understand your point. You understand mine. We're doing, we're exchanging ideas very well. But at the end of the day, I want my thing and you want your thing. One of us has to, one of us will win and one of us will not. A good compromise leaves everybody unhappy. Right. In which case we've both lost, and neither one of us, like you said, neither one of us are happy. But at the, but we will continue to pursue our individual objectives. But what about the greater good? Who's thinking about that? <laughs> what is the greater? I mean, good? I mean, in a, in a blunt, I mean, in a real, I mean, and yes, I'm being cynical. But who in political history is ever thinking about the greater good? Like, who are these people? Where are they historically? Where have they been? I have not found them. Um, who are like, I will just sacrifice what my side wants consistently. Maybe on one or two <laughs> issues, maybe you're willing to do the greater good thing. But over time, your side will pursue their goals and they will pursue them more aggressively. And if you continue to compromise, you end up with something that looks like the Democrat Party today, which is we are sick of you compromising and we really want you to pursue our goals. Also, we haven't fixed climate change because we just keep compromising with everybody forever. Thank so, you. Like you, <laughs> like you can't. Sasha looked like she was not, about to explode. You know, because really the ahead. whole time we're having this conversation, I, I have to interject. Pardon me. You know, we're talking about bipartisanship, yada 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 yada. I'm just sitting here. We're like, 
but I still can't stand the Democratic Party, but I feel like I have to be registered as one to have any sort of say. And I think that's what partisanship has gotten me. Literally, right. I'm a registered Democrat, even though I really do not want to be, because when I look and just see, oh my God, when I, when I listen to Joe Biden open his mouth on a fair portion of everything, it pains me. He hit us with that bad apple thing when talking about police brutality. Boy, come on now. No, enough, enough. The Democratic Party has been doing just, just to stay, stay there. And I think there's a large portion of, especially, you know, I think young people like me, black and brown, you know, people like me who are like, mm, y'all are just aren't cutting it. Y'all aren't radical enough. Y'all are not progressive enough. But I know that if I don't do this, well, what the hell am I left with? And that for me is what this going through my mind the whole time. And it's partisanship has pigeonholed me as a voter. And I hate that feeling. But what do we do? Right. I, I mean, is that the, sorry, go ahead. Well, I have a question. If a yeah. this is a, a traject, this is like a, a true tangent. I apologize. If AOC formed her own party, would it be a viable party no. then? No, I, no. I don't believe that the current climate of American politics will allow that to happen. However, it's just I know that she, that she said something similar to what Sasha said. Yeah. You know, in so many words, she said something similar as an, I don't want to say necessary evil, but this was the closest to her politics when she ran. I don't know if you guys saw the uh, yeah. Yeah. documentary. I know she no, would she have would. a very large following among young people if she actually chose to run. Uh, I would disagree. Really? Yeah. I think people say that until they realize that her odds of winning would be basically zero, and they would jump ship, because they would pursue the side that gave them the best chance to pursue their goals. But I mean, like, in a situation in where she, she actually had the capability of winning, she would have support, is my mean. I say it's the same reason Bernie didn't run, uh, say, didn't run as an independent. Ever. Right. Right, that's that's. Uh, I, I, again, so much this, of this, this is like, and again, this this circles right back to the um the problem with the problem with the post is you know, the spoiler effect. Um, you know, people people will point to some people will point to to uh, 2016 and been like, look, if people didn't vote for Johnson and people didn't vote for um the Green Party, then. Let's say in these key states, then Hill, like then Hillary wins. Um, people go back to the 2000 election and been like, well, if Ralph Nader had just not ran, um, we would have like it would have been Al Gore instead of Bush. Right. I, I mean, up until basically the 60s, the parties, the actual criticism of American politics was that the parties were too close. That was the criticism. Yeah. They were compromising on. Well, it was that there's not enough difference between the two sides. They're too similar to one another, right? They were doing a lot of compromising, a lot of unhappiness. But what was the issue that they were compromising on the most? Well, we can't give these Black people rights like that. We can't. Jim Crow can't go away. That was the thing. Like, well, compromise equals, in that case, it equals where we're just not going to get rid of Jim Crow, Right. And so in order to get rid of Jim Crow, in order to end that, one side just had to be like, yeah, we're just going to throw the whole thing out the window. We're just going to flush this whole bipartisanship cooperation down the garbage because we're going to give black people rights. And it's going to break our system when we do it, but we have to do it anyway. And that's when the compromise stuff, like when the rubber hits the road and it comes time to like, you have to pass something to help a lot of people, you're comp it, it, it can't hold up. <laughs> Okay. That's well, how we, low the bar is. Jesus. Yep. Yeah. For real. <laughs> it's so. just is frustrating because I'm at this point I'm like, so how bad really is a civil war? Because if I'm at the point, <laughs> no, 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 oh, no. Right, that right, sounds um, out there, but I'm like, if I'm at the point where I'm like, okay, well, well I just guess I kinda have to do this because I'm just so scared of Trump back and like I feel like that's how they just keep and by they, I mean the Democrats just keep staying in power and doing half-assed bullshit that 
really I'm not satisfied with and half ass is really being nice. Uh, I'm being generous with, with that 50% calculation just because I'm so scared of what if the other side was, if that's the case, then we're always going to be in this. And at some point I feel like maybe, oh, this is unpopular opinion. And I'm not saying to do this, this election. Okay. I'm not, this is not what I'm saying, but I did a protest vote in 2016 when I voted third party. I'm not doing it this time. Okay. But I will, I will do it again. <laughs> and I feel like, how loud do we have to be to the Democrats to realize there's a big portion of your party who is hanging on by a thread? Like, hanging on. If it was anyone but Trump, I might do it again. Mm, that's saying a lot. It is. And you know what? I can't even say that I blame you. I know a lot of people in my own social circle did the same thing. Either they, they did a protest vote or they didn't vote at all for that exact reason. So I, I get um, it. So there's a thing in science. Um, there's a saying in science, and it goes that um, prog- I say scientific progress is made the, I say at um, the sorry scientific revolutions occur one death of the old guard at a time. Mm. Mm, I see. Um, so we have this idealized version of like the way science works, you know, like um, you perform this experiment, um, it's re- like it's repeatable, um, it disproves this um, like th- this idea, and it can let's say, and it provides evidence to support this hypothesis. Therefore, that hypothesis is better than the like the previous leading hypothesis. Um, but that still like that that's still subjective. It's a lot more subjective than you're like than you're really like comfortable thinking about, um, because people have just been like, well, I don't agree. I agree that like I obviously can't refute your experiments, but I disagree with your conclusions, and we're not going to publish it. And we're not going to publish it um, until that person and um, until those people with the like who are holding up those publish like publications die. Um, to continue to deny, say to deny those publications, um, like progress is just stalled because if I don't know that this thing is true or I'm not thinking about it in this way, I can't like progress just doesn't get made. And it's only by when those people die off and those ideas go away or the people in power with those ideas go away that progress is made. So um, arguments could be made. <laughs> No, absolutely not. No. Um, but an argument could be made that um, as the um, baby boomers die off, that, let's say, that um, your representatives will be more um, in line with your beliefs. But are you, I'm going to challenge you. Absolutely not. Call bullshit. No. <laughs> no. No. Are you kidding me? <laughs> How can that argument be made when you can literally look, you know, and and you look at who is leading or they're trying to make the leaders of, you know, the alt-right or, you know, people with super racist, homophobic, xenophobic ideas, and they know how it works. You got to get the youth in. I mean, the same, look at the the kid, I'm blanking on his name right now. Kyle. Yeah, the book of the Republican National Convention. He was young. He's not dying anytime soon. So that idea of, oh, we just got to wait till they all die off. We're going to be waiting a long goddamn well, that's right. time. The, ar- say, um, the argument is not, the argument is not that um, conservative, like, that conservative idea, ideology will just, die, like, these racist ideas will just die off. The argument is that the, people look, in power. the average age of people in Congress is Right. Yeah. Um, they're in power who have the capacity to stop more candidates like AOC or, um, uh, say, or Ian Omar or Bernie Sanders. Um, it will, it will be replaced by um, people who are less um, ideologically opposed to those positions. Mm. Okay. okay. 
So Not this has been sure. wonderful, but uh, <laughs> I want to go ahead and try to move on because I had a bunch of things I wanted to talk about and we spent a whole lot of time on that, but I, I, I knew that one was a big one. Um, I, I had, I knew coming into this, that that one, that one would take a, a good chunk of, a good chunk of our change here. Um, but there is at least one more I wanted to cover because I believe we may just be as divided on this next one as we are about this first one. And uh, it's about healthcare. Mm. Oh. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> okay, first so, set the stage. What's what's your premise? Let me just So um again, I I know that I you we all know what the problems are with with current American healthcare. We all live them every single day. Right. But um in in both the research that I've done and the conversations that I've had with people, um the two kind of major one, one of them is a lot more idealistic than the other one. Um, the, the two major, I guess, fixes that I've heard from people, and these are kind of distilled from the original ideas, at least the second one is. The first one is that a lot of people that I know of are really in favor of nationalized healthcare. Um, just de facto, like nationalized healthcare is one of the best ways, if not the best way to fix the current American healthcare system. The other one, and this is, like I said, a bit more idealistic, and I, this is the one I really want you guys' opinions on, is to find some way to incentivize businesses to care about people instead of money. Huh. <laughs> nah. That's way too idealistic. Nah. I, I told you. I told you. And, <laughs> and then the, 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 the third option would be to overhaul the insurance industry. Nah. You just don't have an easy solution for it. <laughs> I mean, okay. Let me let me just while I'm thinking about it before I lose it. I used to believe that that in the the idea that not nationalized healthcare could work for this country, I've now come to grips with the fact that our American culture just won't let that happen. Um, so I see that uh, some states are making their healthcare systems more robust and that you have these mini healthcare systems within states that are similar to um, what we wanted to have on the national stage. Uh, I, I, I don't think there are any easy answers there. I think now I've become more practical about it. I want to uh, personally look at people who just uh, make certain options available for people to kind of plug into a healthcare program that's going to work for them. And the reason why I say that is because I now realize that some of the disparities that exist in healthcare will probably be uh, greater in a nationalized healthcare system because we're not really addressing those disparities. You know, after I've done a little bit more reading and made myself smarter on the subject. My reason for wanting nationalized healthcare was to close some of those disparity gaps in access and affordability, right? And, and it's a shame that in this country, you have people sitting at home dying from diseases that we have treatment for be, simply because they, they can't afford it. I, you know, those are the things that moved me originally. Um, but now I just, I don't think that our, Something else has to change before we can have anything like that in life. I just, I'm not sure what it is. Um, I mean, I, I disagree, Francine. Um, um, ever say during the um, primary season, um, uh, there were a bunch of say there were a bunch of polls taken by a bunch of uh, different uh, news agencies. Um, and they had, you know, attempting to honestly push off um, Bernie Sanders, um, you know, Medicare for all. They, mm -hmm. you know, they intention, you can, so, um, you know, uh, dirty secret by wording um, your questions, you know, in particular ways, you can get survey results that you want. Mm -hmm. um, right. So uh, they tried to word, they say, um, they tried to word these questions, this Medicare question. Um, in the most, can, you know, damning way possible, and um, overwhelmingly Americans supported it 60 plus percent. You don't get 60 plus percent in American politics on anything. The American people are on this Medicare for all train. 
Um, the politicians and the industry is not. But let me explain how I got to this point. Do you all realize how you have to get qualified? Like if I'm a doctor, I have to sign up for Medicare and, and I have to be approved through the FSSA Medicare system, whatever, or the nationalized healthcare system. Then I have to pay a certain amount of money. Then I have to agree to a fee schedule. But uh, it also, it, it's the way that they process those patients in. You know, they don't, uh, they, will they will make certain care available for patients based on what they qualify for. Does that make sense? So those disparities, are still there. So if you know for a fact that you can, this patient would benefit from services A, B, C, and D, but because they're Medicare, they're only going to get A and B because legally I only have to stabilize them and then they can pass them on to someone else. That disparity still exists. That whole Ow. system, that no, disparity no. exists because they're not giving them the full menu options available. One of my clients is a doctor. Right. And one of the things she's wanted to do is qualify so she can take on Medicare patients. Right. right. But if I, if you remove private insurance and it is all this single, single payer system, there, there is the how. But the private payer, to, an individual can, an individual. Like you can stratify um, uh, so like social services like that. Yeah, well, basically what they do is they make some of their services available for people who want to pay directly. Like if you want to access these services, I have a different fee schedule for you. And you can come in through this door and they could come in through this door. So it's, it's for people who still want to pay or can pay or want to have that option because they think they're going to get better quality care. It's it's just hard to. My father was in the military, and military healthcare was when I was a kid was horrible, right? They they shuffle you through. There was no bedside manner. There was none of that. And one of the things we all wanted when our parents were retiring, whatever, we all wanted to get out to the private care system where you could choose your doctors and all of this, and you can choose facilities, and they would respect you and and they will let you know what's available. They don't just patch you up and send you on your way. I mean, there's a lot of nuances to this thing that I didn't realize need to be addressed in order to make a true viable national healthcare system. Otherwise, those disparities are not only going to continue to exist, they're gonna get broader. We had a, a question that was put up uh, on our poll that talked about that very thing. Uh, do we think a national healthcare system will address, in that particular case, it talked about race, I think. But- Francine, you can't choose your own doctor now. Your insurance provider chooses your doctor. No, I can. I go literally call up and I ask them for their rate and I choose my doctor. I can do, I have insurance that allows me to do that. But not everybody, but not everybody so, has so, so that. You were, so you were in a fortunate enough situation with I your employer to have a couple of options where you could choose a plan that allow you to choose your doctor. Congratulations, most people don't. Yeah. No, I, I'm saying I, I agree with you there. I'm just saying that that's what I want national health care to be for people. Yeah. So if you have a single payer, if you have a single payer system and all doctors have accept the same insurance, it you get to pick your doctor for the first time. I guess this is the other side. Let me think about it. I'll let somebody else speak. Can I add something? Not like this topic, you know, isn't already big. But, you know, whenever we talk about healthcare and healthcare systems in America, one of the first things that I think about and I think really is at the core of it for me is that we have a healthcare system by design that is reactive instead of proactive. Yeah. Yes. We are consumed yes. with, you know, not preventing things from happening, but treatment. And I really think until we move to a model but we're not focused on treatment. Of course, we need to. People have conditions. But we need to really incentivize and focus on preventing. And I think the reason why we don't do that is because if we had a healthcare system like that, we'd have to reinvent the wheel to a lot of other systems, including the way we eat in this country. And I, and I have to talk about it because I think it's so tied into why we have the health outcomes that we do. And the easiest thing to do is, you know, well, let's have an argument about, you know, do you want to nationalize? Do you want to privatize? Okay, yada, yada, yada. 
but the same systems that get people these diseases still exist. And I think that's a shortcoming of even this conversation, how this debate happens, and we need to even look at it larger up and see how we're really going to do something. Because mm -hmm. if, if you just, okay, now you change the healthcare system, but everything else that gets people in doesn't change, right. what have we really done? Well, I think this accurate. Yeah, I think this whole conversation really highlights a lot of the challenges here. Uh, both the conversation that Francine and Alex had gets into a lot of the technical difficulties. But what Sasha said, um, we can't convince a lot of people to wear a mask. I don't think we're going to have a lot of luck convincing them not to eat bad. That's just seems unlikely we'll be able to, even if we told them that if you stop eating this way, you wouldn't. You know, diabetes but, but that's thing, well though. i think it, it's beyond this individual choice that I, that i'm getting at yes yeah. i hear what you're saying but yeah. I, we do have a system where you know you have lobbyists behind all these you know mm. industries behind the dairy industry yeah. behind the meat industry that it's not just oh don't eat this eat that no it's that there is dollars and cents that go into pumping our heads of what is healthy when is it really or pumping our heads into thinking and you know this may be an unpopular opinion by some but you know i as much as i can try not to take western medicine in the form of pills i do live what i would call a naturalist life and it oh, takes a lot of extra re-education it's hard to understand but there's a reason why you know we know we can pop up you know an allergy pill but the average person on the street doesn't know the natural properties that bee pollen has that your local bee pollen might help you you know mitigate some of your allergy symptoms so this is where i'm getting at where it's it's just bigger than individual choice at this point i know i've now taken this out to a whole nother place but i have to because you gave me the chance well i think that's a fairly uh, go ahead go ahead anthony well i i think that's uh, I think you're you're right though that it's beyond individual choice, which is why I think the whole thing falls apart. Changing huge systems is overwhelmingly difficult because yeah. there are so many factors at play. You know, we've talked about healthcare on maybe a discussion, not when it was officially a discussion, but we've talked about this before. And and like one thing I've bought up is if you wanted to do nationalized healthcare, there are like four or five, six, seven, eight things you actually have to address. Mm -hmm. You have to figure out where the extra doctors and healthcare professionals are going to come from, but nobody seems to want to propose a serious solution to that. You have to figure out at some level, you're going to have to suggest a payment plan for it, which right. uh, people kind of avoid talking about because God forbid you suggest raising taxes on like the majority of the country, which is seen as just politically uh, toxic as hell. You have to deal with some degree of job loss in the insurance sector, mm -hmm. which uh, any politician who proposes any plan that's going to cause tens of thousands of jobs to be lost in their district is basically kissing their career goodbye. So all of these things come into play, right? Mm -hmm. So no one wants to kill jobs in their area. Nobody wants to raise taxes on their local citizens. And uh, all these big, big systems, like you're talking about, Sasha, these big, huge systems are immovable like like what you're talking about for instance is digging money out of politics which is I, if someone proposes Sasha's trying to get shot I'm all layers for moving money out of politics I, I would love nothing more I have yet to see anybody come up with how you actually do that. See, that's therein lies the problem. That's why I, I couldn't blindly, because those are some of the nuances I was talking. There's so many connected features to what it takes to truly nationalize healthcare. It's, it's gonna take a huge will of the people, you know, to make all of those changes uh, happen in order for national healthcare to work in this country. Because uh, our, our system is set up for the complete opposite. Right. I, Alex and I had a phone conversation, uh, and I'm not revealing anything he wouldn't care about. We had a conversation about climate change. And I revealed that uh, I think we're just going to fail. <laughs> I did. You're just such I a just pessimist, think. Alex. <laughs> well, 
we're all I gonna just, die. I, it's not that we're all gonna die, <laughs> but if you point me, if you show me a system and say what this system requires is high level cooperation <laughs> among a lot of people and internationally to work together around the world, I'm just gonna go, yeah, you're just not gonna do that. That's <laughs> just you're you're just not gonna pull that off. What's gonna happen is that he was like tens of millions of people will die. I go, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then I told him bluntly, I said, if a million people in Haiti die, you tell me who really cares. Mm. Other than, I mean, there's like 1% of the population who will care. If a million people in Haiti died, most people wouldn't care. I just totally being real. So we're not, we're not going to fix climate change. What, what's going to happen is that uh, parts of California will become unlivable. And then the people who live there will just move inland and take your homes. <laughs> and drive up your prices. Like, that's what's going to happen. I got some bad news for you. Like, when homes became, uh, when prices became unsustainable in Seattle, you know what happened? They just sent all the lower class people out of Seattle. Wow. They just, they just told them to move out of town. Like, what? I don't know. If someone loses beachfront, like, if people in Hollywood lose beachfront property in LA, they're just, they're just going to take somebody else's house. That, that. Wow, that's like super gentrification. Like, well, I mean, what? But actually, this is what gentrifying is. I mean, Sasha, you're in New York. Like, this is gentrifying. They're like, we want your stuff, <laughs> and we're willing to pay for your stuff, so we will pay you to go somewhere else. Like what? Yeah. <laughs> like you know, it's going to be like kind of COVID with what we're dealing with now. There's some people who couldn't take it seriously, but now that the that certain people have become ill, now. Right it's people are starting to look at it differently now all of these people are getting checked and now all of these people are getting positive i mean i'm just seeing it i I think it's sort of like that when people that people care about are affected then people care right i mean we are people are really bad and i'll let somebody else jump in people are really bad at solving big complex messy problems we're just bad at solving them healthcare climate race we're just we can tinker on the margins we can try to change things where we can we can like change this one law okay we 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 can change one law to target one particular thing of race around voting we can like change the law so you got to integrate your schools right we can't tackle the whole thing of race though Mm -hmm. we just on some degree it's a big huge messy complex problem and people aren't good at solving those. We as a species aren't good at solving those problems. So like, we think healthcare, and I think healthcare will get better, but will we move to an idealized form of healthcare in this country? No. Um, you know, Obama, I remember something Obama used to say when he talked about healthcare, and I'm paraphrasing, but they would ask him, he would go, if I could just design something from scratch, he says, I would have nationalized healthcare. But I'm working with where we are right now. And where we are right now says we can only take certain routes going forward. That was his rationale for why he had an ultimate, you know, why he came up with what he did. He said, this is, you know, we're already starting down this path. So ultimately, I think, you know, our endpoint is determined by where we are starting right now. That's fair. Rather we'll get than the best where, version where of this. Be. Right. We'll get the best version of the thing we have now, which will be better. And it will save millions of lives. And it will help a lot of people, just like Obamacare has really helped a lot of people. But it won't be as good as what other places have. <laughs> so what you're telling me is we need to burn it all down and then just make <laughs> make some of the point that I said, how bad really is another <laughs> civil war? I mean, <laughs> maybe, 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 that's, maybe that should say. be the title. How bad, <laughs> how bad can the civil war really be? But this is, this is something I, so I actually wasn't expecting all of this, like, I, I mean, we're all pretty, pretty vocal people. Like, I, I know that we all have our own um, thoughts. And this was incredible. I think that we should definitely do more of these, especially given that there was a bunch of other topics I didn't even get to get to. Today. And they are meaty. They are. Yes. Meaty. You know what? I would suggest just take a show and take a topic because it's. I think so. You just went too I, I deep. Think that's, that's probably what we'll do <laughs> for, for these next ones is I'll, I'll, I'll prepare maybe one or two. Uh, just because uh, mm. 
That's yeah. what happens. You got smart people who are engaged. You know, stuff happens. That's I fair. just wish we could end on like a one of those uh, happy endings. I wish I. Had. Well, no, there's there's not a happy so, ending. Well, like, Sasha said we have to have a revolution. <laughs> actually, That's happy. That, so the the last thing I want to say is actually like a, a a small bit of acceptance because I actually disagree slightly with what you said, Anthony. <laughs> that we are bad at fixing large complex problems. I don't think that's true. I think that we are bad at coming together to fix those problems because mm. I, I mean, we, there are lots of systems that other, other nations have used that have been proposed that like on paper, not even just on paper, in small instances where they have been implemented function incredibly well, but like they involve consistent action from the people that are benefiting from them and that's not something you can make happen without forcing people to do things they don't want to do hmm. so okay. I like I said I disagree that people are bad at fixing them I think that as you said it's going to be impossible to get everyone to care uh, okay yes <laughs> uh, I so this goes to something Sasha said and this is <laughs> It's gonna sound real, real dangerous. I'm gonna mute myself. <laughs> but like, don't put this like, on me. <laughs> no, it's not on you. But I do want to point out because it's something you kind of said, right? So you have the NHS in the UK, nationalized healthcare system. Most people are familiar with. It only came about in the wake of World War II. See, a lot of stuff people take for granted in the in Europe came about because World Wars One and Two literally burned Europe to the ground. And they were like, well, we can't do that shit again. And they're like, yeah. We, good God, guys, screwed the pooch there, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. Well, while everything's in ashes, we kind of got a chance to rebuild it again. Like, post-World Wars One and Two reform was real in Europe. And people who have studied this, this is why World Wars One and Two are like the most important events almost in human history, certainly of the 20th century. Mm. Europe did a lot of reforms because they were terrified of like, we had done this thing where we spent thousands of years fighting each other and our kings had been involved in pissing contests and petty little stupid squabbles where we have wars every like 10 years. We just decide, I don't like your kingdom and we're just going to throw people to the meat grinder so I can have a bigger fucking piece of land or some shit, whatever they were fighting over. But like World Wars One and Two came and they go, well, modern arms have meant that the cost of like France and England going to war is real high now because it's not dudes on horseback, it's people with machine guns and bombers. And if you keep doing this, your country will burn. And they get, well, yeah, we should probably reform our society. Like like the EU, the European Union was like, yeah, we can't go back to bullets. This is why for yeah. like, all these things are connected. This is why they don't, this is why they're fine outsourcing for instance, security to the U.S. They're like, look, if we all have armies, we have a tendency to use those armies against each other. So we would just <laughs> rather you did the security thing. They don't want armies. Like Nobody wants uh, Germany to have a large standing army because they all remember what happened last time Germany had a large standing army. Like, No, no. And the Nazis are back. Oh, God, no. The Nazis are back? We, no. So, like, what you said, though, Sasha... Don't encourage fire, her. No, but like the <laughs> fires, the fires of war and the consequence of destruction of Europe led to real reform efforts. I mean, there was the whole Marshall Plan of how to rebuild Europe. Like people, that was real. And I think we've kind of forgotten. Like Europe before mid-20th century was was terrible. Like yeah. it was not this socialist utopia it wasn't this friendly place it was horrible yeah i mean <laughs> bubonic plague anybody you know? right like it was terrible right. early 20th century and everything before i mean just go yeah. read the history of europe it's just mm -hmm. one stupid petty squabble after the next yeah. just an endless run going back forever so what are you saying? We have to manufacture conflict in order to bring about change? Uh, or we have yeah, to I don't think we got to manufacture it. Right, we ain't got to manufacture it. It's found us. 
Shut up! Whether you are there or not. <laughs> uh oh. Yeah. Uh, you know, whether we were ready for it or not, the, the conflict and the divisiveness and the, the war has found us to some degree. Not maybe the literal war, but mm-hmm. you I don't know, think it's I, that far from an actual literal. But, war. but again, I when Sasha and people say it's one like her says, burn it down, and I don't entirely disagree with that concept. You know, I'm not going to put it on her. I don't. I think about the consequences of what would happen, but I also acknowledge that historically, yeah, sometimes things burn to the ground and that's your chance to rebuild it. But the idea that you can incrementally change, Europe didn't incrementally get to where they are today. Mm -hmm. They kept fighting wars for hundreds and hundreds of years until, again, the cost of modern war became so high. You know, I've listened to all sorts of historical, you know, people talk about this and I've read about it. And again, when your modern warfare is uh, trench warfare, machine guns, bombers, the atomic bomb has been created. You go, okay, the price of war is atomic is atomic weaponry. So your city is gone. You thought the Blitzkrieg of London was bad? Wait until the atomic bomb shows up and London ceases to exist. Mm. So when those are the stakes, atomic weaponry is the stakes, you, you go, yeah, France, Germany... UK, you guys can't do this anymore, man. Yeah. You gotta stop. <laughs> I don't they see lost a whole generation. Like, I don't want to see France lost a generation of men. But the truth yeah. of the matter is, you know, you just look just last week, earlier this week, you know, we're having the quote unquote debate, and the current president of the United States can't even condemn white supremacy. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's not that I want to burn it all, but that's not it. But what options are we left with when the person who was supposed to have the highest authority in this country cannot even do something simple as condemn white supremacy, white nationalism, when it is right there in front of his face? You know, we talk about moving, you know, in increments. And I think we've been trying to move in increments for 400 years, you know? Mm, yes. How, when, when is enough? How many more years? How much more time? And that's at the point where, I, where I'm at. Yeah. Because really, you know, wars are not pretty thing. Violence is not pretty. But there has been violence on black and brown bodies in this country for hundreds of years. And millions have died. So I don't know. Haven't we already been in war? Mm. You know, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Are we already you know, at war and don't know it? Right. Don't know. It, just, it, it just takes this really condensed, like, explosion before things collapse so much that people become aware of, just how, bad uh, it is. of how bad it is. I mean... Again, World War II killed somewhere between 70 and 85 million people. That's a lot of people. 3% of the world's population, basically. Mm-hmm. So, if you multiply, like, it's like 7 billion today. That would be like 200 million people dying in a war today. If two, and most of this fighting was like Western Front stuff. Like Europe. A lot of these deaths were just European casualties. Again, if 80 million people die in a war and you just had the previous one like 20 years before, because hmm. that's just World War II. There was the whole first one. Yeah, yeah. You killed like 140 million people in war in like 30 years. Yeah. You're going to come up with some solutions, is what I'm saying. Fair. And I think, I think that this is something we can ruminate on later. Um, this is... Wow. There's a... <laughs> There's just wow. I I need a minute. <laughs> so let's let's go ahead and let's let's oof. Hang on. Okay. I can I can talk. I can talk. Um, I think that at the end of the day, we've we've made it pretty clear that especially on the at least these two issues and the many more to come that we will discuss, because we're definitely doing this again now. Um, and there is no simple solution 
And I, I think that one of the things that was brought up that's probably most important to keep in mind is how intertwined all of these things actually are. So, I'm not saying burn it all. But, but what if it's already burning? And that is the, that is the biggest impression I think I'm left with. Yeah. right now is you know pay attention to the embers fancy where do you yes. think the smoke is coming from so that's oh, eye-opening for me thank you definitely. for sharing guys definitely so have we said all that to say this podcast has been brought to you in part by Elliot Productions a studio for podcasters and musicians and of course Pointcast News to listen to any of our other podcasts please go visit our website at pointcast.news or check us out on Apple Podcasts also be sure to like us and follow us on our Facebook page we love interacting with you guys there definitely check that out thank you for listening thank you guys for being here in this wonderful conversation and we hope you all have a good day Josh out I don't make no money You've been there when the times get ugly And I just wanted to say thank you Thank you